Liz Smith of Cosmopolitan says, everybody who's ever been loved by a dog will adore Benji. Variety says, a superior piece of family fare that should endear itself to every audience fortunate enough to catch it, and it should be caught. The Baltimore News American says, it sounds rash to say, but this dog can act. The Dallas Morning News says, there is no Oscar for animal actors, but perhaps they should create a special one for this remarkable performer. Family Circle says, thank goodness, the kind of movie that adults as well as kids will find utterly charming and entertaining. The St. Petersburg Independent says, I cannot think of anyone of any age who would not be entertained by this film. The National Observer says, Benji is obviously the most accomplished canine actor in America. The Richmond Times-Dispatch says, Joe Camp has brought to the screen what all America has been waiting for. Benji, the most talked about, highly acclaimed family picture of our time. Maybe of all time. A family film by Joe Camp. Because it's 4.30 somewhere. This is the 4.30 movie. I mean, it's 70 movies we saw in the 70s. I am uh, Mike McPadden, author of Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. I am joined by my co-host. Ben Reiser, film programmer at the University of Wisconsin-Madison for UW Cinematheque and the Wisconsin Film Festival. Hi, Mike. Hi, Ben. Tell me, Ben, in the 70s when we were children, did you have a particular nickname that people just casually called you? Uh, Benji. Benji. Oh, how about that? <laughs> Here's an idea for an episode. Yes. And and I'm I'm assuming that must have been uh, uh, one of the reasons, if not the primary reason, probably was the primary reason that I saw Benji, the movie that we're talking about as soon as it came out. Um, although I was asking... Uh, members of my family who are younger and older than I am to remind me of how many times they think we would have gone to see this movie because it certainly was more than once and any other details and I was asking my sister Annie and she stonewalled me (laughs) she said well you know (laughs) I was listening to this podcast that you did recently about boardwalk and you made it sound like you were an only child so fuck you I'm not telling you anything (laughs) So uh, we're, I'm apologizing right right off the bat this week to my sister, who I apparently ignored during the uh, boardwalk podcast. And you know, I said to her, I said, "Well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to talk about you without your permission. Like, I didn't want to, you know, put your name on a podcast without checking with you first, which was total bullshit." But anyway, I understand. So, do you remember the theater that you saw Benji at? Well, okay, so i i do have this I do have this recollection, and I don't know if it was every single. I don't know if it was the first time I saw it, um, but uh, at some point, I thought I'd seen it at Radio City Music Hall, and I looked it up, and I don't think it played Radio City Music Hall. I do think I took my whoever was willing to come with me, friends and family, uh, to see it at the Guild Theater on 50th Street, which apparently was right across the street or right next to the... Oh, uh, sure, yeah. And that is yeah. where it played. That is where it premiered. Now, interestingly, Benji, the, the release date that they have, or the year listed when you look it up, is 1974. And it's true, it, it came out in 1974, but only in the South. And so it played uh, in the summertime and into the fall of 1974 in the South and maybe in the Midwest. And then they pulled it from release... 
Um, and by the way, this was Joe Camp doing it all himself. He was four-walling it, as they say. He couldn't get a distributor to get interested in producing and or distributing Benji. So he did it himself, and it made like five million bucks uh, down south and uh, in the Midwest. And so then he was able to parlay that into a wider distribution that they relaunched in 1975. So summer of 75, I saw it at least once at the Guild uh, on 50th Street in New York City. I'm sure I also saw it in Brooklyn. Um, You know, it was a huge hit. And so that was one of these things that um, hit me today was that um, uh, the, in 19, the summer of 1975, I saw Benji and I also saw Jaws. Um, right. And it's, what's interesting to me is that those, certainly at the time, those were movies that I was equally obsessed with. And it's kind of funny to me to be thinking that I'm, here I am, I'm, I think I must have been eight years old, uh, going on nine that summer and I was equally obsessed and enthralled and like totally blown away by Benji and Jaws like that and there was no real difference to me in my mind like it wasn't that like oh here's a kids movie and here's this like all you know all-time great adventure movie they both were like equally great and then of course over the years Benji has sort of fallen away for me Not, 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 not that I ever you know questioned myself and thought oh it's, it's, I probably wouldn't like it anymore it's just like okay that was a it was a movie for me when I was eight and Jaws was sort of like oh this is this gateway drug that, but that, that I kept on coming back to and Jaws is still a movie I'll watch once or twice a year and still find equally like amazing just just like I did in the summer of 75 but watching Benji today uh now I know I've shown it to my I showed it I know I my daughter says she's seen it a bunch of times so I know I showed it to her but I don't think I ever really sat down and really focused on it with her. Uh, in any case, this is the first time in forty years that I've seen this movie with like intention and 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 focused on it, and I was sort of blown away by the fact that it. Um, Everything that I love about movies is right there in Benji, and and it, and I was like, oh, this is as much as Jaws is a part of my like film obsessive DNA, and all the things that happen, all the all the ways that Jaws uh, uh, thrills me, Benji does too, and Benji does those same kind of things, and and Benji contains all these elements of filmmaking that I still get excited about and look for and have looked for for the last forty something years. Um, it's weird. I, when we started uh, um, the idea of having this podcast, I thought, okay, God, I'll, I'll see if I can even remember anything about watching these movies in the 70s, and it'll be fun to revisit some of these things. But I had no idea that this, that watching some of these movies again would unlock these parts of my brain and, and get me to like understand things about myself that I hadn't really even understood until now. I had no idea until this week how influential... Benji is on my taste in movies and in filmmaking and in like, you know, styles of filmmaking and, and things that happen uh, in movies. Now, what I also wow. found out today, <laughs> and you're going to tell you, is this true that actually you discovered this week that you had never actually seen Benji? <laughs> I have never seen Benji before Sunday. And I always thought I had because it was so ubiquitous. I also, I want to thank you for clearing up the year issue for me because... I kept remember being like seven, mm-hmm. and I was you know when that was the summer I turned seven when Benji came out, and um, 
you know, so 74 was throwing me off. Uh, on a side note, you know, this is one of those things, and I, I'm, I'm glad you found that. Uh, when I was writing Teen Movie Hell, it made me insane that the IMDb lists Porky's as 1981, based on a couple of test screenings in November 81. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm so I'm like saying, you know, I have all these like variety listings of when it was breaking box offices in March 82. And anyway, so uh, I'm glad you cleared that up. And yeah, my sister saw it, I believe, with like a birthday party. She told me all the details. We had the Benji novelization in my classroom. And I think I read that. And, uh, you know, Benji was everywhere. But I, I, in fact, had never actually sat down and watched the entire movie until this weekend. And uh, from frame one, I was incredibly captivated by this. Uh, I mean, the dog himself is, is a super natural. Well, let's let's take one second now. Let's just talk about frame one. Sure. Because I timed it out today. Yeah. And the first 54 yeah. seconds of this movie, almost a full minute, is a shot, a slowly moving sort of dolly in on a dilapidated old house. There's no music. It's kind of like an eerie silence. There's a few birds chirping. And this came out in 1974, 75. It could easily, with no changes, substitute for, <laughs> to be the first shot of either Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Last House on the Left. There's nothing about yeah. the first yeah. one minute of this movie until Benji pops out the window uh, of the second or third floor of this old dilapidated mansion that makes you think that this is anything other than like a horror movie. And... That's one of those things that I was like, oh, no wonder I love this. No wonder I love horror movies. No wonder I love Texas Chainsaw and Last House on the Left and all these right. things. It was there with me from Benji. This movie starts and you don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're about to experience. No. Uh, it's great. Like you could easily, you know how they make those dumb trailers now where they're like The Shining as a, as a musical comedy. So right, yeah, like, you could easily just comedy, take that yeah. first shot of Benji without changing anything about it. And tell somebody it's Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre, and they'd be like, "Oh, I never, I don't remember yeah. this shot from Texas Chainsaw." But yeah, okay, okay. So yeah. then, right then, we meet Benji. And, so go ahead. And uh, we just kind of hang out with Benji a lot and follow him through this town. He's his like king of his little town. His his little yeah. Domain. Here's something, and, and I'm gonna yeah. you know, I'm, I mean, I, I have some, I guess, some attempts to be humorous during this thing, but I mean, I'm really sort of enthralled by this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually watched it twice yeah. this week and I watched it by myself and was blown away. Then I dragged my family in to watch it, you know, and they had all kinds of, my daughter loves it. My wife was like, Oh, had a lot of complaints about it. And I, okay. So it sort of brought me down <laughs> to earth a little bit, but one thing, <laughs> one thing to be a little irreverent about Benji, one thing that I realized uh, in the opening, the first shots of Benji um, something stood out for me that never actually had before that Benji has this fucking big dick energy, man. This oh, dog is it's packing. crazy, yeah. Well, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> movies ever since I think have gone out of the way, especially family movies, you never see like they, they either it, actually we had a dog. Katie and I had our first dog in, in New York right. in Brooklyn. Uh, his name was Chick. He was a Jack Russell Terrier. Uh, you met Chick probably, right? All right. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. And we, uh, my sister, my other sister, God forbid I make it sound like I only have one sister. I have two sisters. <laughs> uh, Barbara uh, worked for these um, um, magazine photographers, and they had a contract with Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart was doing either a full magazine 
about uh, that was geared towards pets and sort of pet products, or at least there was like a, a featured spread in some Martha Stewart magazine. Anyway, she had these dog toys and she needed some dog models. And I guess the dog models that they had hired, these photographers that my sister worked for, weren't working out. Uh, and so we got this frantic call from Barbara saying, can you bring your dogs down to this uh, shoot? Uh, we, they need some, they need some dogs to pose with toys and the dogs they got aren't working out. So we actually had two dogs at that point. We had Chick, the Jack Russell Terrier, and we had Dahlia, who was a skipper key. And those are crazy looking black bat looking dogs. Anyway, we brought them down. Turns out they were big hits. They both wound up in the spread. But the thing about Chick, not that he had any kind of a package anywhere near the size of Benji, but they wound up airbrushing out whatever genitals he did have in this thing. Right. And I think that that's sort of more the norm. But it, what's what's crazy to me is, as a kid, I, I don't think I registered at all that there's this dog with this enormous doggy penis. Um, I It's weird, is it? When you're a kid, you don't even notice that dogs have genitals. I guess not, right. And then, uh, but it was funny because I did pick up on that. So uh, my... My dog, my Yorkshire Terrier uh, Zelda, looks a lot like Benji, and we'll put po- we'll put pictures of her up. But um, I think she also, other than the coloring, doesn't she also look a lot like Tiffany? Oh yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, you're right. The um, other dog in this movie, and then uh, but then Archie, who went to Yorkie Heaven a couple of months ago, he was tiny. Like Zelda is probably around ten pounds. He was. Five pounds when he was at his most robust. Oh, okay. I he, didn't realize that Zelda was that much bigger than. Oh yeah, he's, she was twice the size of him. He was tiny. He was like the size of a squirrel. He had a massive schlong, which was hilarious. Oh, he did. He did. Yes. <laughs> did yes. he have like a Benji size schlong? Well, relatively speaking, yes. Proportional. And um, right. our friend Kira, when she first met Archie, she took a picture of him, and he just looks adorable. He looks like a a little mouse on the floor, and she just wrote in the caption. Uh, hanging with my boy, hanging with my boy Archie, hashtag dog dick. Like yeah, there was just no, no way of not <laughs> addressing the issue at hand. So, so right, uh, it brought to mind my boy Arch as Benji yeah. was running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so I do love you know you started talking about the fact that for a while all we do is kind of hang out with Benji and we get this we get a sort of typical day in the life of Benji. I kind of love that about this film. Is very that much. It, that it's structurally, that it's got a really good structure to it. It's like, the, the, that's the thing that impresses me about this movie is that, like, it seems like a lot of thought went into it in a way that, I'll tell you, I watched the first 10 minutes of the 2018 Netflix remake of Benji this yeah. morning. Who boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I realized I had never seen any Benji movie. I've not seen yeah. Oh Heavenly Dog. Oh, you never saw Oh Heavenly Dog? No, no, which was one we were considering for the Crackpot Cinema based on your description of it to me once a long time ago. How insane. Oh, what did I say? You said like Benji, like like lusts for women and then the, the dog, like his girlfriend dies and becomes a dog. And mm. uh, it sounded <laughs> really insane. And I remember it got terrible reviews and bombed. Uh, I think I liked it. I need to go yeah. back and revisit that. Oh, you definitely... Yeah, you were not saying it was not worth seeing by any stretch. Well, look, anything anything Benji-related was yeah. at least worth one look for me. And, you know, I, I think compared to... Like, where was that in Chevy Chase's career? 81. So the same year as uh, Under the Rainbow. 
Oh, okay. So yeah. but between Caddyshack <laughs> and Vacation. Yeah. Now, there's a movie that somehow I never went and saw, Under the Rainbow. Me neither. That's got to be rectified. Yeah, we well, you have to do that for... Yeah. You should do that and No Heavenly Dog that, for Crackpot. Yeah, that's all perfect. We'll do that. Yeah, done. Thank you. <laughs> um, and we'll have you on. We'll have the Benji connection. So All right, yeah. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to get back onto that show. <laughs> when you do, please mention Barbara and Annie, please, both of you. Yeah, I will. Oh, um, believe me, I will. So, yeah, and then I, but I definitely saw Benji's Christmas special, and I definitely saw Benji takes a dive at Marineland, which were two uh, TV specials with Benji. Was it literally called Benji takes a dive? At Benji Marine? takes a dive at Marineland. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, Benji, or yeah. now we should we should say. Uh, Benji is played by a dog who somehow, I don't think I knew his name before this week. I thought his name was Champ or Chief. But the guy's name was Higgins. Yeah, And Benji... And that's what yes. it says on the Amazon Prime. It says starring Higgins. Right, but he's he not... Proper top billing. But, but he's not credited at all in the actual movie, like it, which is an outrage. Right. Because honestly, I think that his performance is one of the great screen performances by any creature. I couldn't agree more. And, 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 as I, and you saw that he lost to Tonto the cat from Harry and Tonto at the Patsy. Which Award. is crazy. I mean, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> I've seen Harry and Tonto. I can't really remember. There's no fucking way that cat comes close to... He kind of didn't... He was just sweet, the cat. He didn't do too much. Hey, yeah. This fucker... It, well, all I kept... But talking about Boardwalk again, all I kept thinking was how much a better actor Higgins was than Lee Strasberg. I mean, (laughs) there's nothing that Higgins can't do. And by the way, this is Higgins' swan song. Higgins was 14 fucking years old when he made this movie. (laughs) And this guy, one of the most impressive things about this very impressive movie to me was how much running this guy does. And it's amazing that the camera can keep up with him. But this isn't like one thing that I think... Of course, you will love. I know. I know your feelings about CGI and stuff. There's no. There yeah. are no effects in this movie. There's no CGI. Right. There's no bullshitty interior monologue by some dumb voice actor like giving us the thoughts of Benji. But this whole goddamn movie is told from Benji's perspective, and it completely pulled off. You understand what Benji is thinking every single step of this movie. And it's all because of fucking Higgins and Joe Camp's direction and Frank Inn, who was the ridiculous sort of David Crosby-looking dog trainer who uh, (laughs) adopted adopted Higgins uh, from some shelter and um, brought him to fame and fortune. Now, we should should talk about Higgins. Higgins uh, Higgins was on Petticoat Junction, um, Seven years on Petticoat Junction, the sitcom spinoff of uh, Beverly Hillbillies and uh, Green Acres. All great shows. Love them. What's all. the name of? I didn't see this listed, but I know I watched it last year or the year before because they talked about it on Gilbert. There's some crazy movie where Higgins is wandering around Hollywood. Oh, you're talking about Wonton Don? No, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm no? not. I'm more, talking about a much more obscure movie. I'll look it up. Go ahead. You talk a little bit about uh, whatever you want to talk okay, about. Okay. So, um, and yeah, and this was so this was not only uh, Higgins' last film, but it was the last film of Edgar Buchanan, right. who played Uncle Joe, moving kind of slow at the junction on Petticoat Junction. Right. And if you recall, he was Higgins was in the uh, the rain barrel with the naked girls on the opening credits of Petticoat Junction. The very saucy petticoat tossing girls in the rain barrel with Higgins. Uh, and also the last film of Francis Bavier 
Aunt B. Yes. From the Andy Okay, Kutcher. the movie I'm thinking of is from 1971. It's called Mooch Goes to Hollywood, and it's on Amazon Prime, or it was. Wow, we got to watch oh, that. Oh, I yeah. did. And it's got Zsa Zsa Gabor oh. and Vincent Price. Um, Holy mackerel. I'm sure that it was a Gilbert and Frank talking about it once, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a different podcast. I don't know, but it's an amazing, an amazingly bad movie. <laughs> um, but starring Higgins, and he's he's excellent. when I was on one of the Gilbert episodes, I guessed it all. We talked, we did a wonton ton thing. I, we did all star comedy disasters. Yeah. Oh, and maybe maybe it came up there. I don't know. Yeah, that stunk on ice. Um, well, that's what I was. I was one. I was trying to in my mind think of any other dog performance and, and or even dog title character that even holds a candle to Higgins and Benji in this movie. I mean, all those Lassie movies, okay, they're okay. Rinton Tin, they're, they're a little before my t- our time, I think. Lassie. Well, they are, yeah. but I would watch. I, I would watch yeah. Lassie on TV. Lassie was like, oh, a for sure, I watched the show. Yeah, the show. Yeah. And I'm into the Thin Man movie, so Asta was a. Asta maybe comes closest to me, and then, you know, Asta's super cute, yeah. and they do funny things with Asta. But even Asta, even if Asta's my sort of, like, baseline there, Higgins is, I don't know, 50 times more important. The performance of Higgins is a genuine performance, which is unreal. Yeah, and this is another thing about his performance. A lot of times, even with Asta, and even with Lassie, and even with Tiffany in this movie, there's always this sort of looming sense of, like... Um, Somewhat inhumane treatment and animal cruelty. Right, you sort of right. feel like the trainer, like whipping them into shape and yelling at them. Yeah. I never get any of that with Higgins in this movie. Now, there's, there's a, there is a scene where Tiffany, um, who plays uh, Benji's girlfriend, or is Benji's girlfriend. I don't even know the name of the dog that plays Tiffany. I don't. The name's dog. Okay, the, the, the dog's name in the movie credits is White Dog. <laughs> the actress's name is Tiffany. And then they just call her Tiffany in the movie. Oh. So eventually that's her okay. name. Um, so it's Tiffany, Tiffany the dog. Tiffany the yeah. dog. Now there's this, there's this incredible repeating stunt. And I this might be the one, one of the sort of cheats of the movie. I haven't really figured it out or not. It's possible that they only get Benji to sort of climb up those trellised... I don't know what you'd call that thing. What is that sh- structure outside the house that he keeps... A trellis is a good way of describing it. It's, it's some kind of... Uh, so there's an old dilapidated mansion where Benji lives. He's got a little apartment under a yeah. table. <laughs> and he crawls in and out the second floor second uh, floor window. And it's sort of like, if you remember the game Mousetrap, like a Rube Goldberg device, like going like a, a ball going down a chute through a series of chutes. So he's got a little system where he can climb up to the second floor in and out. Nobody will see him. Right. And uh, so that's sort so, of what it is. It's, it's a, a series of pipes yeah. and trellises and... Attachments onto now this Benji house. makes this very treacherous journey. It, it actually, you know, the thing that reminded me of, and I thought like I had it in my head. I was like, who does it better? And I honestly felt like maybe it's a tie. There's that great scene in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where Brad Pitt sort of bounces up onto a roof to fix a TV oh, yeah. antenna, yeah. <laughs> and that's <laughs> yes, kind of what yes. Benji is doing in this scene. Very close, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And but by the way, I I've seen a behind the scenes thing from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that actually wasn't Brad Pitt who did that. It was a stunt man. This this is all Higgins. Right. I don't think Higgins did not have a stunt man. There is there. This isn't no, one of no these multiple here, yeah. dogs or anything. It's all Higgins. Now. There's one part in the movie where Tiffany has to follow him up those trellises, um, and there's a really clutchy 
moment where she's trying to climb up to the top one and she can't quite get her her, her little her leg legs her yet. little legs are flipping and kicking and scratching <laughs> and I'm thinking Tiffany does not want to be doing this thing Tiffany is under no. duress here uh, but anyway I never get any of that from Higgins but then did you yeah. see because that was like heart stopping that thing it was like how'd they do it and then she finally gets her foot but I saw in uh, in some research they said if you look close the there's a crew person on there holding her up. Oh, I've never noticed can. that. If you go back and look okay. close, I, I didn't know. It's, they really hide it well. Yeah. But you get the sense that somebody is making sure she's okay. She's, she's being okay, held well, that's there. Good. And they get her to the that's next level. That's a relief. Still very impressive that that little white dog could make that right. jump up. But if you, listener, if you ever watch this movie, I dare you to come away at the end and try to remember any moment that you thought like, oh, this is... At this point, Higgins is being told to do this, and this is how they got Higgins to do that. Like, it just, everything feels organic. Like, all his reactions, all his movements, uh, it's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's my speech. <laughs> the other thing is that you said he's 14. He looks old. He looks like an old, scrappy dog that lived outside. That's true, but he's also like got an amazing yeah. amount of energy. Like he, he, Well, that's the amazing thing, yeah. He's a fast runner. And, you know, when we found Archie, mm-hmm. so my little dog Archie, um, in October of 2015, I was driving. We were driving, going someplace, and uh, this little thing ran out in front of my car, and I thought it was a cat, like an alley cat. So I was like, shoot, shoot, out of the way. And I was like, oh, it's a little dog. And then it was this little tiny dog who was like this little fighter, you know, scrappy little dude. And Higgins, again, reminded me of my arch. And they told us that he had lived on the street for a while, which we don't understand how this was possible. Because he just looks like, you know, it, it, the slightest cat could have beat him up. But he was a tough little guy. And I think Higgins has a similar background. So Yes. Something very beautiful about the way this film conveys that canine spirit and the strays that make it out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so I want to, we're going to go through this movie, but I want to also, in, in, in fairness, let's take a minute now to talk about this, this song that kicks off the movie. Uh, okay. <laughs> I Feel Love. Now, do you ever remember hearing this song at all? Never once uh, in my life, no. Well, I... And I want to show you, uh, yeah. I have my Charlie oh my God. 7-Eleven oh cup God. here. Okay, so. well... I didn't realize. So, so there's this song. It's the theme song from the movie. It's called I Feel Love, and it's sung by Charlie Rich. And it's actually written by this guy, Ewell Box. Uh, and the lyrics are by his <laughs> wife, Betty Box. The funniest fake porno credit yeah. name ever, Ewell Box. Yeah. yeah. So, and they, and, and the, Ewell Box did all the music for this movie and was a film composer for other movies as well. Um, but I was trying to think, what else do I know Charlie Rich from? And I, definitely for me... The song I knew of his the most was that uh, The Most Beautiful Girl. Hey, yeah. did you happen to see the most yeah. beautiful girl? Tell her I love her. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what, so wait, where'd you get that cup? That Charlie Rich cup? I have, if you look behind me, when I, uh, I, I collected the only thing I have ever successfully collected. In 1974, 75, 7-Eleven put out old rock cups, they called them. And Charlie so Rich made it to the country. oh okay yeah yeah and country and soul stuff so you have like so I'll just grab the next one here so you have Freddie Fender uh-huh. Charlie Rich wow. and yeah so I wanted to in honor you know I'm not gonna drink out of this thing but is the most beautiful girl cup. Charlie Rich's biggest hit I would say certainly that was his crossover hit. and what what were some of his other songs do you know 
Off the top of my head, I, I don't oh, know. Oh, good. Okay, good. So, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had taken a deeper time. But, but that was a pop song, The uh, yes. Most Beautiful Girl in the 70s, yeah. And there, it's the, it's the both of these songs are the kind of 70s, for me, AM radio, these melancholy pop songs that totally, that was my jam. That's that's the stuff that I loved. Oh, like the, I'm sorry. They have Charlie's uh, songs written on the cup here. Oh. Oh, this is a great song, Behind Closed Doors. Oh, you know, sing that, that for Behind me. Closed Doors. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Da, da, yeah. Nobody knows. Because, anyway, very special love song. <laughs> uh-huh. they are, the rest I don't know. So okay. so he had two crossovers that we Okay, about, Behind so. Closed Doors. Um, But, you know, these are songs like The Carpenters and Terry Jacks, um, those kind of things. Yeah. But it also made me think of some other songs theme songs from 70s movies that that uh i love as well so i'm gonna th- just throw a quick list out here and then you can please you can either chime in or add on or, or just ignore me <laughs> so let's say number one is i feel love uh, just for the sake of this podcast and and also because i've been listening to yeah. it for the last week but um right up there with it's it, also i want to say that's the same title as the uh, theme from uh Midnight Express. Is that the Donna, Donna Summer. Summer song? Yeah. Is that the that theme song from the Midnight Chase. Express? Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Well, when she sings, it's I Feel Love in the movie when it's just uh, right. instrumental. It's the chase. But go ahead. Okay. So another one is Nobody Does It Better. Carly Simon. Oh, terrific. Me. Yeah. One of the great opening images, marriages of a, th- a theme song uh, to an opening image when the parachute opens the Union Jack. Yeah. And, and strangely... In the in the in the category of how did it take me fifty something years to figure this out? I, listening to it today, I realized that there's some musical references or quotes from "Live and Let Die" in "Nobody Does It Better." There's like these similar piano flourishes wow. that I think, like, oh, this is Carly Simon referencing the Paul McCartney song in her James Bond theme song, which I was like, I never realized that before. And maybe somebody A Marvin Hamlish composition, one of Brooklyn's own. Yeah, yeah. Brooklyn's own Marvin. Uh, okay, now number three, which honestly, if we're not, if we weren't talking about Benji, and if I had to say what was the one that I sat down at the piano <laughs> at age eleven and figured out note for note how to play it, and then went and bought the sheet music to make sure I was right, and would be ready to take a chance again from Foul Play. Oh, Foul Play, Barry yes. Manilow. Barry, no, again, Brooklyn's on. Yeah. yeah, fantastic song. Okay, and then. Um, Here's one that doesn't have lyrics, so I guess it's, I, but the, it was a 45. Now, I had this 45, and it's a great 45 because it's on the on the A side, there's the regular version of it, and on the B side, there's this crazy, fantastic disco version. Now, this is the love theme from the 1976 version of King Kong, written by John wow. Barry. Do you know this music? I, I remember there was a disco version of it. I don't remember right. hearing it. I remember reading the about it. The disco yeah. version is by Love Unlimited Orchestra, which I think is Barry White's uh, That's, yeah, yeah, unit. Yeah. Um, that did the uh, Lido deck theme from the Love Boat. Right, right, a lot right. Of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, but, and I don't think that that disco version is played during the movie, but it was the B side. And I think it was a, sort of its own kind of club hit, a disco hit. Anyway, yeah, because I, I, I was aware of it as a kid, but I never heard yeah. it. Yeah. And then um, number five for me, and I, I really had to. I'll, I'll give you a bunch of runners up, uh, but number five for Please. me is Evergreen from Star Is Born. 
beautiful song. Yeah, Paul Williams. Right. So here's Esther. some here's some runners up. Maybe this would be my top ten. Uh, the way we were, also by Streisand. Yes. Rainbow uh, Connection. My mother's favorite films. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. My oh Paul Williams. Wait, way we were. But the last three songs you mentioned, they're all Paul Williams. Yes. Yeah. Well, he was the king of these songs. Um, he was. Yeah. But way we were is one of your mom's favorite movies. Yes. Because my mom too. It is my mom's favorite movie, and actually. It's, yeah, I'm going to say that's probably Gene's favorite. Yeah. That's that's an and amazing connection. I watched connection. It, a good chunk of it with her just a couple of years ago. Well, see, on, uh, now TCM. that's interesting because I've never seen The Way We Were. And I was teasing my mom uh, recently about the fact that this is her favorite movie, but she never made me watch it with her. She's like, well, I would never make you watch a movie. I was like, okay. But she did make my <laughs> she did make my daughter watch it with her this year. So I'm like, you've, you've made Lily watch this movie and I've never seen it. How was the way we were watching it? Most recently, I just kept. It was great. I really loved it. Um, I just kept saying Redford is so gorgeous. Like that's all I could think. He's so beautiful. I was like, there's physically no more beautiful creature I've ever laid my eyes on. Uh-huh. He's than Robert Redford in the way we were. He's like the Higgins of the uh, human world. Exactly. Yeah. It just it, by existing, I'm mesmerized. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, now oh, also uh, Barbara Streisand. I should have heard. Um, her character is named Katie in that, and that's my sister's name. That's your wife's, yeah, my wife's name. name so, yeah. so that was another personal McPadden connection we Good. had to it. All right. Did, did I say Rainbow Connection yet? Because that's probably Okay. Yes. Now, now we're moving into the Maureen McGovern section of these songs. Okay. Um, I was going to say, please get to this. Yeah. <laughs> we May yeah. Never Love Like This Again, which is the love song from Towering Inferno. Uh, but that okay, that's yes, a I distance. Remember, I, yeah, I remember it's a distant yeah. second to yeah. Morning After from Poseidon Adventure, which that honestly also might be the best of all of them. I don't know. I, it's a, it's like I a mean, five way really tie something. for first, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because she you know she stops and and obviously it's not Maureen McGovern. It's uh, is it Carol Lindley? It might be. I can't know. I can't. Yeah, no. I, that's I meant to go back and no, check. No, no, because she's. Yeah. I, uh, anyway, but the, the movie stops so she can perform this haunting song at the New Year's Eve right, party. Right, but the the woman who plays the singer is a character in the movie. Like, she she survives yes. the initial thing, yeah. although I think her bass player yeah. buys it, and it's, it's like a, she's got, like, a tearful yeah. death scene with him or her piano the player. The capsizer, yeah. yes. Uh, but I don't think that's Carol. It might be Carol Lindley. Hmm. Mm. We can find that out. Um, okay, now I want to get a little more obscure. Um there's a couple of Robbie Bensons. Um, All right. Blue Balloon from Jeremy. Do you know that one? From Jeremy. Yeah. Just saw that recently, yes. And My Fair Share from One on One, which is a movie I know I saw three times at least in the theaters, and I haven't seen it since. Wow. I need to catch up with One on One. Yeah, we're going to do that. We have to do that because I saw that in a theater and really loved yeah. it. I was like out of eight maybe. Yeah. Um, really loved it. Okay. Uh, I'll just quickly do these last three. Mahogany. Theme from Mahogany. Do Great you know song. where yeah. you're going to? Haunting was weirdly my eighth grade graduation song. Now another instrumental song, and this is fun, probably for another podcast to talk about these instrumental songs that became top forty hits in the seventies, which is, and I'm sure there were some of those in the sixties too, probably even more of them in the sixties. Uh, but it's strange to probably, me. Probably yeah, Summer Place. Yeah. Like that, yeah, but okay, Brian's song. By Michelle Legrand from the Brian Song movie. Oh my God, yeah. that's it! Just uh, you just start weeping from the first piano <laughs> note yeah. onward. Right. Yeah, um, and then uh, because I know you love Christopher Cross so much, uh, the best that you can do are Arthur's do. theme from Arthur. Yes. Yeah. yeah, as we're extending our seventies into as we yeah. I said summer eighty two. Yeah, yeah. 
to me. Like like E. T. Poltergeist, Rocky Three, Star Trek Two. That to me is where the eighties start. Yeah. So uh I you, you skipped I'm gonna say oh, my good. absolute favorite yeah, do it. which is uh theme from Ice Castles. Through the Eyes of Love by Marvin Hamish. Yes, and you know Sung I, by Maureen McGovern. I, I watched that and listened to that today and I was like, Yeah, this is uh, it's just bubbling under for me, but I, I get it. I know that that was a big one and I know I learned that on When piano. we do that we When we do Ice Castles? We'll have to do that Ice Castles. Uh we'll have to my sister and I because that was like our movie growing up, was Ice Castles. Okay. And uh, I watched, there was a great PBS uh, documentary on Marvin Hamlish about 10 years ago, I think. And, uh, he talked about writing all of these songs, and it was fascinating. I'm, I'm completely fascinated by songwriting as someone who is not a songwriter, who has played in bands without being able to actually play a guitar. And you can tell that from the opening theme uh, to Crackpot Cinema, which is my band gaze in the military. I, I think that's but, a great sounding uh, thing. And by the way, we wrote a song together it once. Is, we you. wrote this. Uh, we wrote more than one. Oh yeah. But we wrote Petey was we a did. pit bull. Which and I guess yes, maybe you were Petey more the lyricist bull. and I was the. Yeah. The, the, yes. I came yeah. up with the with the music. I was I was Bernie Talpin. Yes. And then of Sony is Purchase, there yeah. is the song? Did we write this song called You're No Her? Was that, you was know that her. your lyrics? Yeah, that yeah. was another okay. one. I, I wrote the words, okay. yeah. I wrote the words to In Between Days by The Cure. I just handed it to you. Like, I had that <laughs> oh, in my head. Okay. I started writing some words down, and it just kind of came in my head. Because I saw the guy on Joe Franklin that said, all you have to do is count upon your fingers and put the words where they belong. <laughs> Who was that guy? And he said, you can write any song. <laughs> I don't. We'll, we'll, we'll look him up. And I can't believe in all I told we, We've just getting to Joe Franklin now, but we'll save him. Cause yeah. We could do a lot on Joe Franklin on right. uh, Channel 9 in New York. Uh, but so Marvin Hamlet's talking about writing. He got the gig to write the Ice Castles theme. So he went to Central Park to watch the ice skaters to get a sense of their mm-hmm. rhythm. And he said he watched them and he kind of saw a pattern go like they go do, 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 zoop, do, 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 zoop. I was like, oh, my God, you really hear that in the song. Mm-hmm. So I'm always, you know, always incredibly impressed by Anyone like you who can pick up a guitar, sit at the piano. I recently, I recently saw Donnie V from Enough's Enough uh, do a solo show, and he was talking about writing that song "New Thing." You know that that their, yeah. their big hit, their big hit, yeah. And he was yeah. saying it was based on uh, the whole, the whole. It was the sound of the of a of a car engine. He was trying to start his car, and it wasn't. It was sort of like whatever it was. Yeah, he was trying to rev up this car, and he heard that song in his head and came up with that. Well, one more aside, and this is very 70s related, is uh, Jive Talking by the Bee Gees. That, that percussion at the beginning. They were recording in the Florida Keys, and the bridge that they took to the studio would make that sound when they were driving there. And they said, that sounds amazing. Let's record it. So they recorded that, and then they just imitated it on a guitar. So you learn oh, yeah. a lot on 70 movies we've seen in the we saw in the 70s. Yeah. So... We were talking about the movie Benji at some point. <laughs> well, we yeah. were talking about this theme song, I Feel Love, which at right. some point I'm going to grab my acoustic and you and I can sing the first couple of verses. Yeah, we'll give that um, a shot. But yeah. we'll do that later. Um, but uh, but I also wanted to talk a little more about the sound of this movie. And I was remi- listening to it, watching it this week, I was like, wow, the, the dialogue, especially for the first half hour or so, really sounds like it's been like post-production dubbed. It sounds like Mary and the kids... 
all have this sort of sanitized quality. And, and it all sounds like it's recorded too well for it to have been recorded on location. Right. And it got me thinking that, oh, they probably had to do a lot of stuff on location, especially when Higgins was involved, where Higgins was being told what to do by Frank Inn, uh, a.k.a. David Crosby, uh, off camera. And so the, then they, they would <laughs> yeah. they would just, they planned around doing that, like giving him instructions on stuff. But I'm, I'm making up this story. There is no, I tried to find some production stories uh, about Benji, and I couldn't really find that much behind this. They were hard yeah. to come by, yeah. Uh, there's one great Joe Camp story from the New York Times, and, it, and that's where I learned that, oh, they released it in 74 only in the South, and then re-released it in 75 around the country. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Anyway, it's so it's possible that that's why there's this sort of looping that goes on with the, their voices. Although I also feel like it, it gets less so over the course of the movie. Um, so maybe maybe they just had a really great uh, uh, sound sound person on set, and, and that's why everyone sounds so good. It could be. I mean, it looks great. I mean, everything the, looks great. Yeah, great. It, just, it does look. It's an. It, it's a. You know, this film was shot for five hundred thousand dollars, but it really. I don't know. I can't imagine it looking any better. Um, I just think that, the, no. you know, the attention to detail in all aspects of this production for me was really like, wow, 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 wow. I was I was right to like this film as a kid because it's a it's a very well-made <laughs> yeah. movie. Then the other thing about these voices and this dialogue, especially the first scene between Mary and the kids when they're hiding the dog under the table because they don't want the father to know the dog is in the house. So we should say, so Benji, he runs through the town. He's got his pals, the... Po- the uh, postman calls him. Okay, uh, that's butch. not a postman. He's a cop. Oh, he's a cop. Right. Oh, I thought he was. Okay, so he's a cop. <laughs> the one, the one black guy in this they're, movie. They're very laid yeah. back. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. He's sitting but in a much park like bench. Mayberry, yeah. I didn't see him carrying a gun or anything. No, so. I don't think he does. He probably also the town in Texas is so small. He probably also delivers the mail. The cop. He probably is. But if you remember later on, Benji sees him going into this uh, well, uh, municipal building, yeah. and he's well, oh, no, 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 yeah. There is a flood, but yeah, but sorry. he does see the cop and the other and the FBI guy yes. says to uh, the black cop like, "Hey, are you working on that thing with the kids?" That's right. And that's right. Like, oh no, man, that's a bad scene. But Benji's trying to get his attention. But we'll talk about we'll that sequence there. in a while. Uh, the shopkeep, who's played by Uncle Joe, calls him Sam, and then every morning he has breakfast at Doctor Chapman's house with the two kids and Mary, who's their housekeeper. And like so many sitcoms from the fifties into the eighties. It's, you know, a, a single dad, a couple of children, and, you know, a, a uh, very loving, zoftig domestic who's the de facto <laughs> matron of the yeah. home. And like, so we just presume the mother is dead. Right. Which is a weird right. thing, which has since been explained to me that, like, the male writers just didn't know how to write adult women. So they would just kill the mother in all those sitcoms. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um Although I feel like, I don't know how much of it is the performance and how much of it is the writing, but I feel like the character of Mary, you know, the Zoftig housekeeper, uh, she's fairly well written. And Very I think much, yeah. Well acted. And I, and I was, and I, did I say this on the podcast or do you before the fact? It's like, it's like the Francis Bovier part, well, but played, <laughs> yeah. by, played by Patsy Garrett, yeah. even though Francis Bovier is also in the movie. Right, and so that's one of Benji's little daily adventure stops as he chases this white cat around a yard. And uh, when they were showing the little town, I saw Aunt B. I saw Frances Bavier like hanging up her clothes, and I wrote down a lot of Aunt B types in this town. And I was like, "Oh my God, it's Aunt B!" 
Yeah. Which is something yeah. that happened to me repeatedly with Beware the Blob. <laughs> yes. And she yells at Benji, like, leave my cat alone, you dirty cur. And then, like, you know, she secretly loves Benji also. So. Right. I do like that everyone's secret, that even the even, even she really secretly loves Benji. That yeah. she and the cat are really it's, it's in on the It's part of their daily day. routine. Yes, exactly. And, and, and Benji's actually been hired by um, Edgar Buchanan, uh, Bill of Bill's Cafe to wake him up. He, this oh, right. guy, he, he, he serves people yeah. breakfast and he goes and sits outside on this chair on the sidewalk. And then it's Benji's job to wake him up so that he can set up for the lunchtime rush. That's right. Uh, he gets and a treat. Yeah. He gets a bone. He gets like a like a steak, like bone a big tea bone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but Patsy Garrett is interesting to me. Um, the woman who plays Mary, the housekeeper, she was. In a movie that I don't think I've ever seen or heard of, but it sounds uh, like I need to see it. It's called The Trouble with Girls, and it's an Elvis Presley comedy yeah. drama, but it's a period piece. It takes place in the 20s. Have you seen this thing? No, I've not. No, no. Had you ever heard of it before? Yeah, I've heard of the movie. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I don't. I Yeah. Now, she's also in a movie that I've been trying to catch up to that apparently you have seen called Wicked Wicked, which was yes. a shot in duo vision, which apparently is just like it's a split screen for the whole movie. The entire movie is a split screen, one from uh, the point of view of a stalker, the other one from the point of view of the woman who's being stalked. And it is completely awesome. Wow. Yeah. And I wish I had seen it in the 70s so we could talk about it. <laughs> but. And also, speaking of movies that we've talked about on this show before, um, Patsy Garrett is apparently in the Parallax View. <laughs> now, I wouldn't know that because I've only ever heard the Parallax View and not actually seen it. You heard the but, uh, yeah. the little uh, Panasonic cassette recording yeah. you made of the television broadcast without watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's in those movies, and then she's in the two two for the first two Benji movies, which is Benji, right. and then a couple of years later they did a sequel, which I also unfortunately watched this week called For the Love of Benji, uh, which takes place in Greece. But then she doesn't. Now, do how does Benji go to Greece? Uh, it's it's <laughs> the movie starts, and for some reason Mary and the kids, which I was excited to see that they brought back Mary and the kids. That's great, yeah. Because I didn't think that they were in it, and in fact they're only in it for like ten minutes. But they have decided to take a vacation along with Dr. Crawford, although he's not in the movie. Like he, at the last minute, apparently has been delayed and he's going to meet them there later on. Uh, but so it's Mary and the kids and Benji and Tiffany in the airport and they get on this plane and they go to Greece and then Benji immediately is separated from them and gets involved with like an international spy ring and like a top secret <laughs> government agent and a, a scientist who has the key to cure i don't know oh it's a it's a this is this is the mcguffin in this movie uh this scientist has discovered a way to turn one gallon of gasoline into 10 gallons of gasoline (laughs) so everyone wants much needed in 1977 yes exactly but anyway she doesn't do anything after that for a long time and then in 1992 she apparently appeared in that movie mississippi masala uh, which I, I think I saw. At the time. <laughs> wow, I saw. I think yeah. I saw that on a on date. Yeah. Wow. Uh, um, but then, I liked. I saw that she was Mrs. Fowler. She was Florence Fowler, nanny and the professor. Yeah. The sitcom I always liked. Yeah, yeah. And I always it, it, that ran from 1970 to 71, but so, they somehow managed. They squeezed out 54 episodes. So, so is she kind of like on all the time? Is she kind of like she's the like Alice Kravitz. slash? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, she's she's the nosy neighbor. She's like Mrs. Cr- like oh. Abna, Abna. She's watching Nanny do her magic, right? And uh, nobody believes her. And then she was uh, the spokeswoman for Purina Catchow 
in the 70s, I, I presume before the Chow 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 song took flight, captured our imaginations. Then Dr. Chapman, who's the kid's father, first you're like, ah, oh, he's like the ogre dad, but he's, his heart's in the right place. He's the, he's the local, uh, you know, he's probably the only doc in town. He's worried about diseases. Yeah. So he doesn't want Benji. He doesn't want any dog, let alone a, a stray like Benji. But he's played by Nick Barkley. Oh, no. He no, was, he's uh, Peter, Peter Breck. Breck. Peter Breck. A mo- uh, that's the, that was always, I knew that name. So this thing, I, I had the I had the sound, not the soundtrack album. I had this album, which was so great. And I, meet, I need to go down in my basement, see if I still have the vinyl, because it hasn't been digitized. I couldn't find it anywhere on YouTube or anything. It was called The Story, Sounds, and Melody of Benji. And it was this one of those I albums. Love any album like that, yeah. yeah. They used to make those for movies, right? And great. they had like big chunks of the dialogue, and that and that's when I realized, oh, this is why these these people's voices sound familiar to me. Because as many times I saw the movie, I listened to this album a million more times, and I knew all this dialogue by heart. And it's one of the reasons why when I heard Tom Lester, who plays this lanky, uh, we'll get into this part of the movie, but there are these kidnappers, and he's and Tom Lester is one of them. And he's the guy who played Ebb on Green Acres. Right. Was, Just died. Yes. Just died recently. And he was also, yeah. uh, I don't know if he was an actual minister, but he was an evangelist and would go around yeah. um, evangelizing. <laughs> uh, With his Ebb stuff. Like, he always had his Ebb stuff. Oh, on. really? That's funny. His hat and his jacket, which to me, it was weird seeing him without the, oh, Zelda just chimed yes. in. She heard us talking yeah. about it. Um it was weird seeing him without his Ebb, you know, his Elmer Fudd hat and his plaid hunting coat. But his voice was so iconic to me, and I realize now it's because of that album I had. But I also thought this must be, this guy must have been a voice actor in the seventies and eighties, and he did do a little of that, but not as much as I thought. He kind of, he kind of in this movie has a little bit of that sort of. He looks like Shaggy from Scooby Doo a little bit. Yes, and he yes. has that same sort of Casey Kasem quality to his voice. At yeah, and big. He's big, lanky, tall, like Shaggy. You're right. Good call. On he's that. like a cross between Shaggy and um, Ernest. <laughs> yeah, Ernest. He's very close to Ernest. So I was going to say that. Um, but back to Peter Breck for a minute. Oh, yeah. So his character was Nick Barkley on The Big Valley. Yeah, that was a show I. Hated. I know it's garbage. And it was on all it the was, time. It, I re- it was on, but I feel like like Channel Eleven when the Yankees got rained out, they put on Abbott and Costello. Channel Five would put on the Big Valley. Yeah. yeah. And I always felt like I had to watch. It was so boring. Barbara Stanwyck was a bonanza ripoff without Haas. Were you into any of those Western shows? I wasn't. No. Yeah. No, not at all. Sometimes Haas would amuse me, but I could never watch a whole uh, bonanza. But yeah. No, I didn't watch any of them. I liked, like, maybe, no, I think The Rifleman, maybe, because it was a half hour. I was into the 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 um, the crime shows. I was into, like, you know, Cannon and... Uh, Barnaby Jones. Columbo. Was, like, adults. It was Mannix. Yeah. yeah, my grandfather used to watch all of that stuff. So anytime I hung out in my in his apartment, we would yeah. watch, like, Mannix all and the all Quinn that. All the Quinn Martin yeah, productions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. McCloud. Yeah, well, that was the Sunday mystery movie. Those were really, like, classy. Yeah. And the Quinn Martin, they were like the hard-boiled two-bit big fat cannon with his car phone. <laughs> one, one thing I've been doing during the pandemic, as I, as Mike likes to say, we're talking to you from plague times right now. Um, I've yeah. been uh, re-watching Columbo starting with the first season. And it's, every episode is fantastic. Yeah, it's, it holds up so shockingly well. And the thing about it is, is those were Universal Studios productions, and no studio is better at preserving their like negatives and prints right. than, than Universal. So you watch these things now on Amazon Prime, and they look like they got shot yesterday. I mean, they're all beautiful, <laughs> pristine-looking prints. And Zelda agrees. 
We have some guys working right outside the door. So. Oh, that's all right. I can. I'm, Zelda's joining uh, us for the yeah, podcast. I think it's good it for is. the Benji it's episode. Perfect. I'm trying to get my dog to start yeah. chiming. In. And she also keeps us moving along. So, <laughs> uh, so what happens in Benji yeah. <laughs> is that we have the two kids who want to adopt Benji. Benji meets Tiffany. That's a momentous occasion. Who's a a white like kind of Pekingese dog or a Maltese that kind of foofy little white dog, and uh, she's all ratty and messed up and she's eating garbage and then he helps her out. He feeds her a better quality of garbage, <laughs> and, and uh, they just hook up and right they away. They do, and then they have this great sort of musical montage. There's only like four different yes. pieces of music in this movie. There's like the there's the I feel love theme song, and then all these instrumental versions of it that are used to varying effects. Sometimes it's to be sad and melancholy. Sometimes it's blah blah. blah. Then there's like the Benji walking around music, which is more of like a country western kind of bluesy yeah. bop. And then there's yeah. this thing that I call the pudding cup music, which is like this pizzicato <laughs> boom, 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 that first happens when Benji gets excited over this pudding cup that the kidnappers bust into. Um, but also, uh, it, 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 it's a reprise later on when he meets Tiffany. Um, it seems to sort of be their love theme, too. Like they, they're, they're in love the way he's in love with this cup of vanilla pudding. His Del Monte, his can, his can, <laughs> yeah. little warm can of vanilla Del Monte pudding. Yeah. It's like, could anything look less yeah, appetizing? Um, you know, it's like a, 150 degrees in this Texas I town. Know. They're in this musty old house. I'll tell you. Ebb is like cracking open these these vanilla puddings. And now I understand Benji, because he lives on the street, is going to be into this. No, I saw it the other night and I was like, now I'm starving. <laughs> um but yeah, but then they, but so Benji and Tiffany have this great sort of love montage where they're running through the park together and then they both jump on this um, fountain, like sort of a bird feeding, a bird water fountain. What do they call that thing in a park? Yeah. A, a bird, bird bath. bath. Thank you. <laughs> they're, yes. they're both drinking water out of a bird bath. And Joe Camp, auteur that he is, does one of those 360 degrees vertigo <laughs> yes. uh, shots. Um, yeah. But even more than vertigo, it reminded me of the Brian De Palma ripoff of that vertigo, vertigo shot in his movie Body Double, where like uh, Craig Wasson right, and Craig Wasson in the yeah. middle, yeah. And, yeah. and actually, because of the, because of the fact that this is in that. Whatever filters are on this thing reminded me more of Body Double, and it made me wonder, maybe we'd had De Palma wrong all these years. Maybe he wasn't actually stealing from Hitchcock. Maybe he was stealing from Joe Camp. <laughs> Joe Benji. Camp. Yeah. Anyway, wow. so there's that. So the crooks uh, come to town, and, and this is sort of revealed. Uh, well, Benji overhears their, their machinations, their plans. They're going to take the kids to go see a horse and hold them hostage. But not really hold them, like not actually threaten them or anything. They're just going to give them a nice day at the horsey farm. Uh, but then the leader, a guy named Mitch, played by Mark Slade, you know, he just he just says, no, nah, we're going to just kidnap these. We're going to tie them up. We're going to bound them and gag them. And yeah, uh, He's a real piece of shit. Uh, he really gives off the Manson vibe. Yeah, he's really he does. doing Manson. He's got this nasty sort of semi-comb-over hairdo. Yeah. He's got a hideous polyester shirt. He's yeah. just perfect in this role of like. He looked the, a little bit. To, he looked like Michael Sarazin and yeah. uh, Terry Kaiser. Yes, that type. yes, yeah. yes. Or um, what's that guy's name? Um, ah, shit. Um, from um, oh, Powers Booth. Well, Power, yeah, Powers Booth is handsome though. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. I always found him very handsome. Yeah. Powers All right. Booth. From uh, Red Dawn and Southern Comfort. Um, 
And then so the the uh, the lady in the gang is Deborah Wally, mm-hmm. and she really she acts like a Manson chick when she's around Mitch. She's really into him. She'll do oh, anything yeah. for him. And I looked in her uh, her big credit in the, before that was she was in Gidget Goes Hawaiian in '61, which was a long time before this movie. She still looked pretty spry and youthful here. Yeah, but I find her I, just to be obnoxious and and surface about it. I don't think she's attractive enough to have been Gidget. I don't know. She's kind of like a well, she's kind of a skank. Like fifteen years earlier, no, okay. almost. Well, but, yeah. But then she was also in The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. She was the ghost. Oh. Which was one of the beach party movies that they showed on the beach party week on the 4:30 movie. Of course, I heard that title as a seven year old. I was like, I know it's not going to be, but I have to, I have to know for real. Right? Is this going to be a transparent bikini on Channel Seven right, at 4:30 right. in the afternoon? <laughs> and it's not. And I don't know if you have ever seen it, but it's it's hilarious. Oh, is it? They just erase. Well, the the effect mm. is where the bikini is is completely see through. Like like. Her body ends, so you see, like, if she's standing in front of, like, you know, a hot dog right. stand, it's like the girl, and then, the hot and then dog where stand. the boobs are, you see hot dog right. stand behind her, and then her stomach after that, so. That's nice. Um, yeah. Yes, and then rounding out this whole uh, ne'er-do-well um, kidnapping gang is this dude uh, played by Christopher Connolly, and I, I'm sure as a kid watching this movie, uh, I thought it was Ryan O'Neill. Like, this guy reminded right. me of Ryan O'Neill, like that sort of a bargain basement Ryan O'Neill. But as a kid, I don't think I knew the difference. Well, it was from Peyton Place, which I think was Ryan O'Neill on Peyton Place. I think oh, was. well, uh, that's crazy. Maybe they played brothers. And but then, you know, he was uh, he played the Ryan O'Neill part on the Paper Moon TV series. Ah, Foster, there you go. There you which go. Which somehow I, I watched. I remember loving that show. It was only on a couple of like it was five episodes or something before it got canceled. Who was the. Who was the girl on the show? Jody Foster. Oh my God, was, was Tatum O'Neill. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I, I think I was in kindergarten. I loved it. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, and then in the eighties, he went uh, to Italy. He was in uh, the splatter movie Manhattan Baby, and then the completely awesome nineteen ninety The Bronx Warriors. He also is in Joe Camp's follow up to Benji. He's in Homps. Homps. Yeah. <laughs> You've not yes. seen. I've seen. We should do Homps because yeah, okay. I have the DVD. Yeah. Oh really? Okay. After like waiting for it forever, it got here. Yeah. Okay. I remember Homps toys. Like they were really anticipating. They were like, you know, we got caught off guard with the Benji dolls not being ready. But I, so I remember tables of Homps toys that summer. <laughs> oh, here's the one. The one anecdote that my sister Annie was willing to share was that she remembers my grandparents buying either me or her. Uh, a Benji stuffed animal. So at some point they were available and it was one of these things. Yeah. Yeah. My sister had, one, and, yeah. and it came in like, with like a sort of a cardboard stand, you know, like right. that's how you'd buy it. Like the, and um, like it was like sort of a um, uh, twist tied to a piece of cardboard at the bottom. But yeah. Apparently when we were taking it home from the store, or whatever, it was raining and they didn't want the, the, the stuffed animal to get wet. So they turned it upside down and we were holding it in like, so that the, only the cardboard um, stand would get wet. <laughs> Not, not a very good anecdote, but that's she was willing to cough that up. <laughs> a from a delicate delivery, yeah. Of Benji from uh, KB Toy and Hobby at Kings Plaza to your house. Yeah. So, um, 
So yeah, so they kidnap these kids. As By the way, the, yeah. the the kidnapping plot is absolutely absurd. Like it makes no sense to yeah. me. I don't understand. Like like if they were really, if the plan was for them to just take the kids out to go watch a horse, what are they doing in this stupid haunted house anyway? What was that supposed to be for this plan? Like they weren't ever supposed to bring the kids to this house apparently. Like everyone's right. taken this by is surprise. Going to be their base of operations. What do they need a base of operations for? <laughs> And how long are they going to give Dr. Chapman? They need a place to eat the pudding cups. That's all they do. A place without a refrigerator. Just have them at least out um, on the counter. But so they want 100 grand for these kids from Dr. Chapman. This is a small Texas town. He's the doctor. Yeah. I mean, I, you know. And I mean, they're gonna, he's, he's going to get that kind of coin together in an hour while they have him petting horses out on the farm. Um, so so <laughs> yeah. we'll take that leap there. Yeah. With you, Joe Camp. Uh, and they bring the so FBI then, in after five minutes. Right. Right. <laughs> That's right. And then we have the great uh, Herb Vigrin. Yes. Uh, Lieutenant Samuels who comes in. Extremely familiar. Uh, you would know, you'd recognize his face and his voice right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, big ears, big black, you know, an old guy with white hair, but black, bushy eyebrows. Uh and he was the guy in the commercial that said, liver snaps. Dogs <laughs> love him. Yep. He did a lot of voiceover. Yeah. And then we have the moment of true horror in the film where uh, Benji and Tiffany team up to try to help the kids. And Mitch, she bites uh, Mitch, the leader of the gang, and he kicks Tiffany. And it's it's shot in such a way that we see his leg go up and swing toward her and then cuts away right before the impact. But then, but I mean, it's it's a horrible thing to see. Yeah. And later, when Benji, so when Benji finally has the ransom note that he wants to bring to the authorities, to the doctor, and the police, to get them to come to the haunted house to rescue the kids, Benji's running in slow motion, and he keeps having flashbacks to this moment. And this, I was like, this is masterful filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like the dog, the performance of Higgins is amazing. Yes. The slow motion, the pacing of this, with these. Semi-subliminal, not exactly, but very quick, powerful cuts to Benji's what's driving him to keep running and to keep trying to communicate with people. Yes. Which really good. It's wonderful, but honestly, Higgins is so fucking expressive that we don't even need yeah. it. Like, I appreciate right. that we get a little bit of the backstory that it seems like he used to be partnered or owned by a cop who gets shot by a robber, and we see that little flashback. We see a flashback. But honestly... You take those shots out, this movie is is just as powerful and, you know, just as perfect uh, to me anyway, uh, just based on I, I would ag- I would I would agree, except I think they really do bring something unique. I didn't expect that. Right. And I especially, I mean, it's really jolting when you see that, yeah, he was pals with this cop who got killed during a uh, yes. holdup. And that gets triggered when uh, Mitch, the leader of the gang, pulls a gun on the other gang members. Benji sees the gun, and we have, like, oh, shit, I remember when my buddy got shot to death. By the way, even in For the Love of Benji, when guns get pulled in Greece, Benji has that same freaking flashback to <laughs> the cop. Like, even though he's it's already been through. a moment of his life. Yeah, apparently. Uh, you know, it's a formative thing, the way that Benji was yeah. a formative moment in my life. Exactly, um, yeah. But, but, it, but you are saying something which I think is very important to, to reiterate, that the visual storytelling in this movie is really yeah. top-notch. Um you know, it's also a very tightly edited film. It's under 90 minutes. Um, yeah. But even with that short running time, it doesn't mean that, that Joe Camp doesn't give enough breathing room to the story. We get 
a lot of really wonderful and lengthy sort of wordless sequences and that they're all they're all very well constructed and of course well performed by Higgins. I'd have to assume that there was extensive planning going into this movie, maybe even storyboarding. Uh, there's this great sequence where Benji is uh, locked in this municipal building. We talked about it earlier. Uh, but I, I checked the running time on that sequence saying it's over five minutes and there's no dialogue at all. Uh, and we're watching Benji as he thinks about a bunch of things. He's first trying to get the attention of his friend, the cop, and he's unable to do that. Then he discovers that he's locked in this building and the building is closing down for the night and he keeps missing opportunities to get out of the building. He's searching all over the building, trying to figure out a way out. Yeah, Zelda. <laughs> exactly. Um, He's scrambling around on these slippery tile floors and going into these empty offices. Then he sees a security guard outside and tries to figure out a way to get the security guard's attention. And he ultimately sort of accidentally triggers the uh, sort of this bank teller window intercom intercom thing. Um, But it's a five minute sequence. And I was totally riveted the whole time watching it and like, okay, I understand what this I understand this sequence. I understand the geography within this building. I understand Benji's relationship to these characters that are inside and outside the building. It's just a it's a beautifully shot and edited sequence that I think people could study in filmmaking classes and learn a lot from. I agree. And incredibly suspenseful and frustrating every time mm-hmm. Higgins is barking and is silent against yes. the glass, that heavy, like probably bulletproof glass. With his paws pressed up against it, desperate, frantically trying right. to get his buddy's attention. Well, that's the that's the thing that was the, that was the real revelation for me um, watching the movie this week was how suspenseful it is and how many really well crafted suspense sequences there are within this movie. And it isn't just the second half, which is what the part that focuses on the kidnapping and all the back and forth, uh, but even. They they signal that this is the kind of thing that could happen even at the beginning of the movie. Even that first scene where Benji has to hide in Mary's lap under the table so that the dad doesn't see him in the right. kitchen. That's a great little suspense scene. Uh, the kids are sort of like standing in front of Benji and hiding his food bowl, and that's really well done. Uh, but you're right. There's just there they keep going back to this thing where they don't make it easy for Benji. Um, Every time, like he, you think he's gonna finally be able to convince the police and the FBI that he knows something and they should follow him. Something, <laughs> yeah. something shitty happens, and they snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. It's so frustrating. Yeah. yeah. And he, so, so Benji, the genius that he is, at some point realizes while he's stuck in the municipal building that he's seen them write an earlier version of this ransom note and that that crumpled piece of paper is still in the house with the kidnappers. And if he can only grab that and bring that to the police, they'll realize that Benji knows where the kidnappers are and where they've been writing their ransom notes from. And... Um, Again, you understand all of his thinking process and what his plot is without without any any voices, any interior and monologue. It's utterly anything. credible. Yeah. As goofy as the kidnapping plot is, you don't doubt for a second that this is Benji. <laughs> this is what he's right. thinking. He knows what's happening, and he's going to make it's, this happen. That's the other thing. Like you never in this movie think like, oh, this this too, this dog wouldn't be this smart. Like it never crosses right. your mind that a normal dog right. wouldn't think this way. You're like, oh, of course, Benji knows this. He's a genius. So, yeah, oh, he's the best. So he finally, and then the way he finally gets his attention is he bites Mary. 
Yes. It's the only way. He has to give her a little nip. In the, well, it's because that cause. that bitch, uh, what's her name, from the, the, <laughs> the, the, the ghost in the bikini. Gidget goes Hawaiian. Yeah. The ghost in the bikini ghost, right? Yeah, she snatches. He finally get, He finally brings the crumpled earlier version of the ransom note over to the police, but this kidnapping woman is there, and she catches on to what's going on, and she grabs it from him, and she's about to get away with it, and he... And Mary's dragging him out of the house, but he he does the only thing he can. He bites Mary just just enough yeah. so that she drops just him. enough to get her attention. Yeah, yeah where she's shocked. Right, and yeah. then he jumps and uh, starts barking at the trying to t- attack this kidnapper woman, and uh, she flings her purse. The note falls out. He grabs the note. He runs back to Mary with it, and then Mary. What a beautiful performance by Patsy Garrett. <laughs> it slowly yes. dawns on her that she's been a fool not to be listening to Benji and his bark. <laughs> it's true. And then the children are saved. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I loved it completely. Oh, good. I'm glad through. to hear that. Whole way through, was talking to the screen. <laughs> Rachel told me, like, like, yeah, I was completely involved with it. Now, had yeah. Rachel ever seen it? Yes, oh, okay. yes. She loves Benji oh, also. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, so uh, we can talk a little bit about Joe Camp here. Uh, not a lot. You know, I mean, he's still out there. He's, acting, he's writing books about horses now and stuff. And, um, you know, parlayed this into a, a little mini mogul career. Yeah, uh, well. Directed Haunts, the cattle movie. Much like much how, like how Higgins has sort of handed down the Benji legacy to his yeah. progeny. Uh, yeah. the, the dog <laughs> that plays Benji in For the Love of Benji and Benji the Hunted and a bunch of other stuff is actually Benji's daughter. And so that's one thing. When you watch these other movies, all of a sudden Benji's big dick magic yeah. is no longer there because it's played by <laughs> yeah. Benjean. B-E-N-J-E-A-N. That's the name of his daughter. Uh, Benjean, yeah. yes. Uh, and she's not bad. I, I thought I, it, right. it occurred to me that they're sort of like the Fondas, where Higgins is Henry Fonda and right. Ben Jean is kind of <laughs> like Jane Fonda. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yes. A powerhouse in our own yeah. right. Sure. Um, <laughs> okay, back to Joe so Camp. For the love of Benji, yeah. uh, The Double MacGuffin, which is a movie I don't remember playing in theaters, but we also had that novelization in my classroom. Now, I saw that, so I know it did play theaters. Because I was... Yeah, I was looking, and I saw the ads. I was following Joe Camp wherever he went at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Heavenly Dog, we discussed. Benji the Hunted, you mentioned, which was a Disney film. Yeah. And um, that got really good reviews when it came out. Yeah, but it's not. It's no good. (laughs) Benji Off the Leash in uh, 2004. I I think I bailed by that point. I think I was done. Yeah. And then the Netflix Benji from two years ago, which didn't seem to catch no, on. No, it's so. no bueno. And that's directed by Joe's son. That's Brandon yeah. Camp, yeah. And then, this is a weird note. This is a personal thing. So he was also on a TV series, <laughs> Benji Zacks and the Alien Prince. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. On Saturday mornings, which in 1983, weirdly, I saw a bunch of them. Like, it was on at a time where I was watching. And then I remember in 1983, for some reason... I had three Saturday morning, and I was old at this point. I was 14. Mm-hmm. I had that. I had The Littles on ABC, the cartoon, based on the books about The Littles, the people like the borrowers that lived in your house. Oh, I love those books, yeah. And then The Gary Coleman Show, which was the cartoon where he played the angel from uh, the kid with the broken Halo TV movie. He'd go around and do good deeds oh, for people. Wow. Yeah. And I think what it was, going back, I was like, why was I watching these at 14? It was because... Uh, that was like the one time in my life I was really into professional wrestling. And that was on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. So I think I had a little buffer schedule around that 
to be at the TV. Yeah, you needed to you needed to run up to the wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. So Benji, we should say, reportedly made uh, $45 million on a half a million dollar budget. So in uh, 2020 terms, that's a budget of $2.6 million and a gross of $234 million. That's incredible. Incredible and utterly believable from my memories of Benji's ubiquitousness and, and just power over the market. And, and based on how many times I saw it in a the theater, which I feel like it was at least five times. <laughs> like I can, right. I'm responsible. So it was actually it. the 10th highest grossing film of 1974. So I'll give you and, and here is when, you know, when we talk about how disgusting the world is, which has nothing to do with the president or the pandemic or anything, just the quality of movies that are foisted on the public. <laughs> so these are the top 10 grossing films in order, from number one down. Blazing Saddles, the biggest hit of the year, The Towering Inferno, Trial of Billy Jack. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Tom Laughlin, Joe Camp connection in a minute. Now, wait uh, a minute. Frankenstein. What year are you yeah. reading? 74 or 75? 74. Okay. But Benji is listed among the highest grossing of 74 see, based on its I, I wonder list. what I wonder if we look at 75, whether Benji shows up. Um, you know, I don't know. Because we should. But the number. We, we can do but that are you saying that the yeah. number that's listed in the 74 is the 40 million? For Benji? Is the, oh, yeah, okay. It was actually, in, in 74, it was listed as, because it's probably, yeah, it's probably erroneously dated to 74 as the initial release date. So, okay. Uh, and in the initial run, before any re-releases, it was $39 million. Okay. Um, and then and I, But I do think that that six. number includes the 75 release. Oh, no, that definitely yeah. does. It's the total oh, okay. run, worldwide gross, okay. yeah. So, uh, Earthquake, uh, coming in at number five. A movie I loved and saw for like a million times, yeah. Uh, did you see it at King's Plaza in Sense Around? Oh, yes. I did not. I, I saw it on that, TV. I'm pretty sure that's another movie I saw with Alan Broadman and his mother. Wow. Wow. Uh, the Godfather 2, Airport 1975. The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, the uh, Sun Classic movie, which yeah. I never saw the movie, but that apparently also made $45 million. Yeah. Uh, the Longest Yard, a great film, and then Benji, um, hmm. and so that's a what a great list that is. That's what I mean. That was seventy four. These are the movies when we were children that were available. These were the popular entertainments of the day. Yeah. Um, so Joe Camp said he was motivated to make this movie, and I was trying to figure out like what did he do before Benji? What did he do? Did you find anything out like that? It was hard to. He try. was. Um, I mean, he. It's. I thought he was like more of a rancher. That's what it looks um, like, yeah. He was like a horse guy and a dog guy, obviously, yeah. Yeah, this is one, I mean, this is what I love about this movie and finding out about it. It was really one of these sort of labors of love. It reminded me a little of, um, uh, you know, not that Halloween was Carpenter's first movie, but I mean, I feel like maybe Carpenter's first three or four movies were, were this right. way, where it's like they were really, he'd assembled this crew of people together and there was nothing was nothing motivating them other than the idea that they really wanted to make a good movie and everyone was like right. and, and this other thing and you hear it all the time but it really is true it's sort of like these these films that have no budget and, and when filmmakers and the crews are forced to like come up with creative solutions to things that they can't spend money on uh, they wind up coming up with great like I would love to see what was the camera rig that they you know the thing about Benji is it's almost all shot from the perspective of the dog it's like almost one of those right. Ozu films where it's like everything is like three feet <laughs> yeah, off the right. ground um, but I I 
I need to know what did they do to to capture that all those shots where Benji's running and the camera's right alongside him. Like, how did they do that? I'm I watch this movie and I'm like, I don't know how they did seventy five percent of this movie. Right. Um, but it's 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 so interesting to me that 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 once once Joe Camp made this movie and he got more money to spend and had to make sequels and stuff right. like. All that stuff sort of goes out the window. Like there's no, there's no yeah. sort of attention to detail in his later films the way that there was with this, and I feel like that happens to so many filmmakers that like once they get some money, like George Romero, who's who's like first sure. couple decades of movies are so beautifully made, and he had such a style like with all the different camera angles he'd set up and the editing techniques. And then when he finally got some money in his later years, I mean, one thing was he was you know getting up there in age but but you watch a movie like um what's the first one that he came back to with dennis hopper land is that land of the dead what land of the dead yeah, yeah it's like yeah. suddenly there's none of that romero none of his style remains like there aren't i mean he was an old man at that point yeah. too but i know what you're saying but i would even go back to like creep show yes absolutely where it's like they're just fucking hacker yeah to me. yeah a movie that millennials love bizarrely yeah like all the young horror kids i hated it from the time i saw it yeah um, well, but you know, it had that kiss of death. It was, you know, here's a here's a guy. <laughs> this is much like Howard Stern, who we say like, there's nothing better than the Howard Stern yeah. show. But anything else yeah. he touches is the kiss of death. Same thing oh, for yeah. Stephen King. <laughs> he writes great novels, fun to read. Right. But any anytime he writes a screenplay or shows up as an actor or something, you know that's the end. <laughs> Just the yeah. worst. Yeah. <laughs> so when Stephen King shows up in Creep Show, you're like, that's it, we're done. <laughs> so uh so what i think camp reminds me the most of is tom laughlin who did billy jack and it's just like you said this is a total grassroots thing he had his team but the difference is he was an actor he was a holly he was a studio mm-hmm. actor um you know like in little cowboy movies and things like that and then was then got to make born losers which was to me, is the best of the biker exploitation movies, and Billy Jack was the breakout. Well, I think I think what's interesting about Benji is I think the camp really relied on Frank Inn, the dog trainer, and his connections. Yeah, because so many of these actors appeared with Higgins in TV projects and things like that. And right. I think that he must. I think Frank Inn must have made a bunch of calls saying, "Hey, we're going to make this movie with Higgins. Can you? Hey, Edgar right. Cannon, can you come and and play with us? And uh, you know, who's the other? Who? Oh, and the guy from right. Green Acres." Uh, yeah. Right. Ebb. And then uh, similarly, Billy Jack was initially kind of abandoned by mm-hmm. Warner Brothers. It was a Warner movie. Um, and then he bought it back from them and four-walled it into like, I think it is like, it was it, it was like the highest grossing film of 1972 or something. And, and top number three in 74 was The Trial, which again was, which it, there he had money, but he kept that same team together. You talk about like Carpenter yeah. keeping it together. And he said, let's just make the ultimate. And that, you know, that, I mean, that deserves five episodes, that thing. But because um, that was just trying to make like the Moby Dick of Billy Jack movies <laughs> or something. But so it was a similar little, um, you know, this this phenomenon that you described. So but he said he was motivated by how bad the G rated movies were mm-hmm. of the day. Yes. And so I went back and looked and. And he was specifically talking about the four-walled movies. So these were the independents because you had the Disney movies. Um, now, we had – now, I spent my summer – my grandmother uh, lived in Keensburg, New Jersey, on the shore. So we went down there for the summers. And in uh, Madawan was the twin theater, and they had – one of them was the Disney theater for the summer. And it was the July and August. They would just show Disney films. The program would change 
two or three times a week you'd get a different double feature and so we just that was like my basically my real immersive movie theater experience as a kid did was there a theater like that in brooklyn that you go to um no <laughs> it was a national uh program that disney ran right it was these little local theaters they would take over for the summer uh, well, I know my grandparents used to take me, like, see, we used to, we would see Song of the South, <laughs> and, uh, right. but, wow. uh, but, but I think that they were, I think we saw those movies at King's Plaza or the Georgetown or, um, right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that they took over a whole theater like that though. Right. So, but then Disney's 274, the original films were the Robin Hood, the animated Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. And then Super Dad mm-hmm. with Bob Crane. Yes. <laughs> I remember seeing, I saw Robin Hood at the Brook, which was a classic oh, yeah, theater the on Brook. Flatlands yes. Avenue. I saw a lot of good stuff there. Um, I saw a bunch of slasher double features at the Brook. They, it's, uh, really? Know. At the Brook? Yeah. Wow. Because mm-hmm. I saw like the Pink Panther movies mm-hmm. there. That sure. always seemed like an elegant theater to me, mm-hmm. the Brook. Wow. Um, wow. What I like, sometimes they have, they would show short subjects before the, before mm-hmm. the movies. Yes. Touch a class. At the Brook, and they had a little window in the lobby where you could peek and see what was shown. Yeah. So, um, the uh, Snoopy Come Home was from '72. A uh, boy named Charlie Brown was '69. Those were in you know fairly regular re-release. Never saw a Peanuts movie in the theater. Did you? Oh yeah, I saw Snoopy Come Home in the theater, for sure. I saw it on TV and loved yeah. it. Uh, I had Charlotte's to move. Web. We should, I didn't watch, see we, should in the we should watch Snoopy Come Home. Sure, put that on that list. Yeah. Charlotte's uh, Web, Alice's did you say? Adventures in Wonderland. Yeah, Charlotte's Web was another big hit, G-rated hit. That was a movie I saw uh, in a drive. I saw Charlotte's Web at a drive-in in Ithaca, New York. We used to we used to go up to Buttermilk Falls State Park in Ithaca uh, during the summer and stay in a tent for a couple weeks. Uh, but we would occasionally get to go to a drive-in, and sometimes we would go to Cornell, uh, the campus, and see movies there. And I know I saw North by Northwest on campus at like a wow like a campus cinema club. Okay, go on. Children's films. So Al- Alice's Adventures in Wonderland from 72, mm-hmm. which is, I've never seen this. I'm aware of it. It looks bizarre. Uh, Live-action British musical with Peter Sellers as the March Hare, Spike Milligan as the Griffin, and Dudley Moore as the Dormouse. Uh-huh. It always looked ugly and unattractive to me, like, a, like a, one of those headache movies. Um, but what Joe Camp was talking about, and this is the more fun stuff, were the four Wallers. So it was like the K. Gordon Murray's uh, Mexican and Eastern European imports. So, like, do you remember Rumpelstiltskin and Puss, Puss in Boots? Yes. Oh, yeah. And I was dying to see both of them, and I didn't get to see them. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then eventually, like, Something Weird Video put all those out, and they live up to your wildest mm-hmm. hopes that they could have been. Yeah. Uh, the Sun Classics pictures. So it was either, like, Grizzly Adams, Seven Alone, or The Wilderness Family, or they would do these pseudo-documentaries, like, in search of... Noah's Ark. Right. And then there were some classics knockoffs like UFO Target Earth. Oh, wow. Uh, an amazing movie called another something weird video treasure, uh, Pinocchio's Birthday Party, which is shot like it's uh, we got, I'll put the social media. It's almost indescribable. Wow. It's just it's a set with like the shittiest like drugstore card table set up and the kids are all sitting there and Pinocchio tells some stories and. Um, and then Hercules and Hercules Unchained. I remember that got a re-release when I was in kindergarten. Was dying to see that mm-hmm. the '50s Muscle Man movies, and then the Christmas that almost wasn't. Oh yeah, uh, I think Italian. Yeah, yeah. 
So those were like the chintzy movies that he was talking about, that people would go take their kids. And and my friend Aaron did get to see Rumpelstiltskin, and he said it was so bad. He told this on the my Crackpot Cinema podcast. The kids went apeshit, like truly tearing the seats apart. His father took him out, like fearing for his safety, took him out and went and started yelling at the manager, like, how dare you show something so terrible, just of such poor quality. Yeah. And then Joe Camp came and wrote to the rescue. He made a really great family film, a family film by Joe Camp, as it says right in the opening uh, credits. It does. That is the one thing that tips you off that you might not be a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> it does start it does start with that mulberry films uh yeah. logo and um yeah yeah no i think you know uh, uh, of course it's leaps and bounds better than all of those movies but i also was trying to think i don't know were there better even you know um studio family films made in the 70s no. i don't know i put no, i put this I up think of. No. i mean you know i loved um willy wonka uh right i think that's a great film that's great. Bad News Bears is great. Not entirely a family film. No, but it's fantastic. One of the all-time best. Yeah. We should it's do that. It's one of the all-time greats. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, but 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 right. But but certainly a G-rated movie. This was G-rated. Right. Rated G. Uh, by the way. Disney put anything out to compare in the 70s. No, you know, I recently watched World's Greatest Athlete, and that's fine. It's yeah. fun, but it's not. It's They're nowhere, fun. Those I don't are think good. it's yeah. as good as Benji. The Witch Mountain movies were good, but not not Benji good. I watched. I think. I think I watched Herbie Rides Again recently. That's right. the one with Helen Hayes. Um, yes, and that's not bad. That's that's kind of a fun sort of comedy, like almost like right. a satire, almost like a How to Succeed yeah. in Business vibe to it. Those aren't right. bad, but I think Benji's no, way good. better. I love all those yeah. those seventy Disney movies, but but Benji really is magical. So it got great reviews when it came out, which mm-hmm. is nice to see. Yes. Liz Smith called it, said, the most entertaining family film of our time, maybe of all time. Right on. Uh, Variety raged, raved, uh, Benji isn't a dog performing, but a dog acting, capturing rare feeling and almost human response. Mm-hmm. The New York Daily News raves, Benji's uncanny ability to protect emotions, project emotions definitely makes him the Lawrence Olivier of the dog world. And uh, the New York Times says it all when it just it just put it plainly. Joe Camp is a master storyteller. Absolutely, Could not agree more. couldn't agree more. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Did you um, did you happen to discover Frank in and the little sort of archive webpage uh, about him? Um, no, lay some Frank in on me. Well, Frank in got heavy into the religion. I, I think later in life, but maybe even as early as the Benji days. But um, sure. he wrote a couple of poems about Higgins. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. He's got this poem called My Little Brown Dog. You want to hear a little of it? Please. Yeah. Okay. From By Frankin. Now, Frankin was the, was the guy who discovered Higgins and trained him and put him through his paces. Um, so he wrote two poems about Higgins. One of them is My Little Brown Dog, and the other one was written after Higgins died, and the name of that poem is My Gift to Jesus. <laughs> so, and Higgins is the gift that he's given. <laughs> wow. yeah. But even My Little Brown Dog is, I have a little brown dog that all my friends dearly love. It is Benji, God's gift to my family from heaven above. A dog is one of God's created creatures that is faithful to men. 
because he is so faithful, he is called man's best friend. And it goes on and on. <laughs> so you can check that. We'll, we'll post this. And then, but let me give you the first couple lines of my gift to Jesus. Uh, if someone had given baby Jesus a dog that was as loyal as mine to sleep by his side <laughs> and follow him and feel like he was divine. As he grew into manhood, he'd have a dog following him every day as he preached to crowds or if he went into the gardens to pray. Uh, anyway, it goes on and on. All about how Christ would have been better off if he'd had Higgins by his side. Wow. <laughs> what if? Yeah. We all would have been if Christ had had Higgins by his side. Here, oh, here, 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 here. I'll give you, let me give you, yeah, but let me give you this payoff line from my gift to Jesus. Please. When Jesus arose that Easter morn, how happy he would have been if a little dog licked the hand of the man who died for all men. <laughs> wow. Very good. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, so that's basically Benji in more than a nutshell, but I, I heartily recommend everybody jump on Amazon Prime to watch it. By the way, the um, the Netflix 2018 Benji is rated PG. So then, and then right then and there, it's all fucked up. Um, rabbit hole stuff from last week's episode, which was Beware the Blob. And oh, here was, a, here was something I was thinking when you were talking about Billy Jack. Maybe every week we should figure out how the movie we're talking about could have inserted itself in a good way into Billy Jack. Like last week, okay, we I'm thought if, yeah. if the blob... <laughs> If the blob had come and and and, and stopped the, the street theater in its tracks, that would have been good. The, that's right. The committee. Now, if Benji had been there, if Benji had had jumped into that pile of hippies and run off with his bag of peyote and had them all chasing uh, through town, that might have been fun. That's another thing. You know, there's that final sequence where Benji's running with everybody through town and bringing them back to the house. And good old Patsy Garrett. I mean, she's got to be in I don't know, late forties or something. She's running like really a bouncing along there. Yeah, yeah. They really they they committed themselves to that movie, that cast. Um. And anyway, uh, uh, I watched the Watermelon Man, which turns out is on Amazon Prime. Oh, all right. Um, and because uh, we talked about Godfrey Cambridge in that movie, yes. Uh, and man, is that movie bad. <laughs> I guess we could talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But Thank you know, the, for taking that bullet. Yeah. The problem is that Cambridge is no good at playing a white person. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have, it's not like, you know, like Eddie Murphy could probably do a great job with this right. story, but Godfrey Cambridge yeah. doesn't, his heart doesn't seem into, he doesn't seem to have like a standard white person voice that he does. Um, and then the makeup is awful. Like he doesn't, he doesn't look, he, he just looks like a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> what what once we were talking about like which we couldn't remember which way he turned then I was like oh. could picture his face in the makeup yeah yeah I was like oh yes yeah yeah he's a white guy who turns black um, yeah and uh, but you never believe that he's a white guy so it's sort of like pointless no, no. you know and it, and it's weird like as a white person character they give his character all these weird quirky like. You know, the satire isn't there because it's, he's just this weird guy. He's not like this sort of typical yeah. white racist, which I think is what they're trying to do. But he's this weird guy who, yeah. like, does this thing where he, like, to stay in shape, he won't take the bus in the morning. Instead, he races the bus to work every day. <laughs> it's just this weird bullshit. Um, uh, so, anyway, that's Watermelon Man. Um, as far as feedback that we've heard from people, I know that Ben Levitt, 
loves the show. Um, All right. He keeps he keeps writing me private messages on Facebook telling me how much he... Former roommate of mine. It. Yeah. Lived through some uh, one terrifying year with me at my most insane... Yeah, well, we need, we should get him on the show and hear hear all about we it. We should, at some yeah. Point. Um, <laughs> I covered the fact that Annie is pissed, and I didn't mention her. Um, and then uh, the only correction that I heard was from Jim Healy, who wants to correct us about "Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves." Now, apparently, "Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves" is not the three D uh, Disneyland attraction, which he also experienced and said was the greatest thing ever. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, um, I don't know. I can't remember what he said that was called. That's. Uh, uh, probably, do you remember? Do you know what it might have been if it wasn't Honey, no, Honey We Shrunk no, Ourselves? No. But Honey We Shrunk Ourselves, directed by Dean Cundy, was actually like a Disney Channel film. All right, now we know. <laughs> That's Thank it. Thank you, Jim. Anything else? The ombudsman of yeah. our show. <laughs> yes. You had any other anything you need to follow up with from last week? No, no. I think you you nailed it. All right. All right. So I, uh, I, I, I've been, I, I picked up my guitar for the first time in a long time and uh, tried to figure out a little bit of I Feel Love. And so... Um, now, I listened to this song a bunch today, and oh. I, I have no idea what the melody is. That's, so all right. So I'll, it's completely out of my head at this point. That's okay. I will, I'll sing it, and then you can join along if, 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 yeah, after the first verse. Hang on a second. Let me grab my guitar. I feel love all around I can feel it shining down It lights up the day like the morning sun reaching out and touching everyone I feel love feel love all day long all day long like a promise like a promise like a song like a song (laughs) and it's feeling good like I knew it would everywhere I go I feel love I feel love I feel love all right there you go bravo if that doesn't make you want to go watch this movie and listen to Charlie Rich nothing Just to, just to not hear us singing anymore. Yes. yes. Do anything yeah. else. So that was great. Uh, next week, I think we should do Convoy. Oh, really? Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Unless, uh, yeah, and then let's line up a uh, two-minute warning. And then I think we should do, at some point, let's do all three Bad News Bears movies. Okay. Because they were all from the 70s. Yeah, you were mentioning, you had uh, one of your many other podcasts, you were trying to figure out some baseball movies, Jeez. and I was thinking, oh, you should do yeah. Goes to Japan or breaking training, but uh, did you figure anything out with that? Yes, we're gonna do because uh, on our other Mr. Skin's gonna guest, and we wanted him to do something besides just some boom right. movies. So we're gonna do Night Game with Roy Scheider and Blood Games. Which oh is a, wow! Uh, kind of hybrid slasher 
women's softball film from 1990 and that just got a big. Well, what's in. Night Game with Roy Scheider? I've never seen that. It's it's I never saw it either, but I remember the poster. It's like a, there's a baseball with a hook in it, and he's a detective, and somebody is killing people in Houston anytime the Astros win a night game. Wow, that sounds fantastic. So, and, <laughs> Yeah, and I actually did have to buy the DVD for this. I couldn't find it anywhere. So I should have asked Jim Healy if he could have. Oh, uh, oh well. All right. So, all right. Well, uh, yeah, you mentioned Convoy. I saw it on uh, Amazon Prime streaming. Yes, that's how I saw it. I just saw it for the first time, but I was happy to hear that you saw it in the 70s. So I saw it in the 70s. So we'll do that. Uh, I'm Mike McPadden. Thanks, everybody. I'm Ben Reiser, and thanks, everybody, again. And thanks, Mike, for rem- for, awesome. for even suggesting we do Benji, because this was a big treat for me. This was great. All right, man. All right. Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay, nice.